Okay. So, you know, the context is, um, for, for years, I didn't get downhill. Mm. I thought these guys are just coasting down the hill. Uh, what's, what's exciting <laughs> about this? What's interesting? You know, why would I bother? There's no pedaling involved. Now, I, I come from a roadie background, of course. Sure. So it's totally different yeah. there. Uh, and I, but I didn't get it. Now, it's my favorite sport to watch. I, uh, professional sports in general don't interest me anymore. Basketball, uh, football, sure. it, it just seems too programmed, yeah. too financially you know, beholden. All this stuff, the athletes seem to just be going through the motions. Um, and the referees get in the way a lot, you know, regulations get in the way a lot. Sure, no, no, I understand. So all this stuff. Yeah, I get it. Uh, and it's, so you don't get that with downhill. But also, it's like, I can't believe what these people do. It's just incredible. Sure. Yeah. Now that I really understand what's going on with the track, yeah. the course, uh, the, the grades, yeah. the speeds, you know, all those things that the camera kind of levels out and doesn't really give us a clue unless we've been there and can really kind of appreciate for what these sure. guys are doing. So anyway, that's the context for Lords this weekend. Lords, right. I guess it hasn't been there for, what, five years it's or something? It's been a while. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I came from a very traditional athletic background growing up. I played football for 11 years. I did track and field for seven. I was athlete of the year in my high school as a senior uh i was a second team all west coast tight end playing football yeah i mean wow. I, I was a I, you know i threw a discus 150 feet throw a shot put 50 feet like I and was, that's not typical for mountain bikers just maybe maybe not i mean it, it depends I, I think a lot of the the racers at the top end you start to realize that they've had some kind of a background in something else nina hoffman's a good example i mean she was like a top level javelin thrower uh camille blanche was uh like a i think she was hockey I want to say I think she was really good at hockey and then transitioned into riding downhill um you know Minar was motocross guy growing up a lot of these guys were motocross guys and when, you know yeah. yeah so there's there a lot of times there is a thread there but um and so the the the, the point I'm making is no, I'm like, saying ball sports typically yeah so are. basically yeah. I fair enough yeah that's true um I was a traditional ball sport athlete and then you know and even now I don't watch football at all after playing for 11 years if anybody had like you know, a, a connection to it and could appreciate it and understand it is me. Right. But to your point, it's kind of formulaic and boring. There's only so many things that are going to happen, and at a certain point, it's become so commercialized that it's kind of lost all sense of, of anything interesting to me. Um, whereas, you know, downhill is so condition specific, and everybody's different every year. The track is different every year. The bikes are different every year. There's so many variables, and the rate of change is very, very high. So you get a lot of uh, mixing it up. You get a lot of differences, and, and you can go to the same track every year, and something different happens, you know, and, and that's pretty special. Um, I think one of the great things about it is that nowadays bike technology has gotten so good that riding bikes fairly quickly downhill has kind of become the main reason that most people ride mountain bikes. There are still people who ride for fitness and for climbing and for distance and keeping track of, of you know, uh, fitness metrics and all that kind of stuff. There's still a large group of people that like to do that. But even the, the, the cross-country racing, you can see reflective now in the courses. Yeah. They've become much more technical. Yeah. They have rock sections. They have some jump options. They have A-line, B-line for making up time. Um, I think just in general, the, the bikes have become so capable that they've just opened up more and more people to... Uh, what it's really all about as far as if you're asking a guy like me who owns a shop that's called the downhill zone uh you know the point has always been to go find a way to go fast down a hill and scare yourself a little bit and get what james may from top gear would call the fizz you know you give yourself a bit of a of a bit of a thrill a bit of a risk a bit of a scare you pull it off you make something work it's satisfying it's exciting uh you know it just checks a lot of boxes all at once so I, th I think uh, you got you to gotta definitely hand it to the bikes getting better and helping more and more people gain confidence to go faster downhill. I think now they, they, st they, they, you know, you, you, they can really connect and appreciate watching a downhill race now yeah. because they can look at it and go, wow, that looks crazy, and I don't know if I could ever do that, and that guy's making that look really easy. Um, you know, but I also think from just like if you want to step it back, not just appealing to a mountain biker demographic, it's also just really good competition. 
So if you look at something like Formula One, every year they're messing with stuff to try to make it more competitive, which is, I don't know, I struggle with that concept because it's like, if, if somebody can develop a better car or if a driver's a better driver, then, you know, let there be gaps, let somebody dominate, whatever. But the whole point of what they're doing is just trying to constantly shake up the formula. That's why they call it Formula One. <laughs> Every year they develop a new formula of rules and they say, this is what you have to build the car within. Here's the parameters. Mm-hmm. Here's your limitations. Here's your fuel load. Here's your aerodynamic limitations. You can do this. You can do this. Here's the tires you're going to use. You know, here's the engine specs. This is maximum you can use. They basically have all these really tight rules, and then they have to go try to find the way to make the best thing. And so they do this to one try to prevent you know someone who can just outspend everybody from they have they have money caps and all kinds of limitations in spending. Um, but really, what they're trying to do is at the end of the day, and it doesn't work always. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. They're trying to to level out a playing field to where you're going to get lots of passing, lots of competitive racing action, and so. The, the great thing about downhill is like it, it, even if you're not into riding bikes is that the drama builds through the event you know especially if there's conditions involved and you got to give a huge amount of credit to Rob Warner being the the, the narrator of, of this kind of drama as it right. as it grows through through the couple hour live cast you know and um, the one of the crazy things about it is almost always it delivers in the peak that you are looking for as far as like the best riders go last. And so it ends on, uh, I mean, sometimes not. Sometimes you'll get one of those, those uh, anomalies where an early rider just lays down a heater and then they hold out for the rest of the race. But almost always, nowadays, with how good the top of the field is, that last top 20, it's yeah. going to be nuts. And, and that's based on qualifying. Yeah, well, it's a and, mix. And it's a- qualifying and also ranking because they'll have protected riders where that's kind of where it's similar to Formula One. Basically, they're trying to create the best live show. Right. So if somebody has a bad quality, if somebody crashes, but they're uh, ranked well from their, their ranking, their overall UCI ranking from the previous year, they'll be what we call a protected rider okay. to where they'll slot them in. Okay. in the, so they'll go right before the top 20. So you get to see them on the live feed, and they're going to be racing with the fast people because we know they're fast. They just had a bad quality. Sometimes someone has a mechanical or a crash or whatever else. If a rider's not protected and they're a great rider, uh, and if they have a bad quality, they go early. They go way early. And so sometimes you might not see them in the live feed. Um, but those are instances where sometimes you'll have someone who, yeah. who, who ends up winning Capable. and no one, yeah. no one quite gets up to the mark. But the crazy thing about downhill, at least over the last several years, although you got to say 2020 was an anomaly with COVID, so we didn't really see a ton of racing, although the racing was good. Um, you can never underestimate the, the, what happens when you create this pressure, pressure situation by having these great riders and having them qualify highest. They just somehow, people just keep to notch it up, and then you'll watch a race run and you're like, this is bonkers. There's no way anybody can go faster than this. He was just right on the limit, or or she she almost blew out in this this G out and like somehow hang on and you know you, it just looks like it's nuts and you're like there's no way someone's gonna go beyond what just happened and then somebody does, somebody does. and you're just I, I, and then somebody goes beyond that and it's just this game of top trumps and you're just how is this possible? Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it probably has the most value for uh, somebody who is a rider because you have a, you have a real direct connection to it. But I think also in that sense, it's like, for me, I could watch a great football game, but then what do I do? I don't go play football. The great thing about watching mountain bike racing, whether it's XC, whatever, is that you can go watch a down, you can sit down and watch a downhill race and just get absolutely fired up. And then you can go grab your bike and go ride. And so Perfect. it's like you get you, you you actually get a real world uh, like outlet for the emotion that the event creates, and that is is such a special thing um, that you know. I mean, you could do that. I guess you could say that with moto racing, with with supercross, you know, or outdoor moto. But at the same time, most people, you know, they're not necessarily riding their dirt bikes like that. I mean, they're usually, maybe I would say it's probably more popular for someone to be a woods rider than like an actual track rider, although people do ride track. 
So I don't know. I mean, th- but that is one example. You yeah. know, there are there are certain other sports that you that you can just watch and then go do, um, and that's one of the things that I really like about about mountain bike racing in general. But Funny, some some of the runs, I actually find myself breathing hard. Oh, of course. <laughs> you know, it's just the of basics. Course. It's like I'm on that bike. Oh, I'm yelling <laughs> at the computer. I mean, like I'm sure a lot of people do. Yeah. Is that you know, like your whoever your favorite rider is that you that you're supporting or whatever. And you know they're in, if they're in green on sector two, you're just you know it's hands up and and you're just you you, you can't help but yell and cheer even though it's already happened you know yeah. eight hours ago in Europe. <laughs> right. It's like it doesn't matter. It, and so somehow it does like it, it creates an emotional connection. Uh, you know, and, and I think that's one of the interesting things about a time trial format like downhill skiing is uh, it's less. You know, there's because yeah, and and clarify on that just for people who don't know. So you're racing against the clock. You're racing. You're 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 yeah. You're starting at the top of the hill. You race against the clock only. It's one rider on track at a time. Uh, Well, I mean, there's one rider being timed at a time. There's one yeah, one racer going down trying to get to the bottom of the hill in shortest amount of time. Same exact same format as downhill skiing, and um, something happens in events like that when it's not bar to bar racing. There's a different atmosphere, there's a different environment, there's a different nature of the competitor. It's not as ruthless because you are not necessarily seeing that other person as in your way. Mm-hmm. You are in your way. Right. You don't win, it's because you didn't win. Right. It's not because you got beat. I mean, someone else ended up going faster than you, but that's not like them directly impeding your path to winning. Whereas when you're racing bar to bar in any kind of event, it's a much different process where someone can be the, like Sam, someone can be a direct result of your success or failure by what they do or what happens. So um, I think it's just a, it's a, it's like almost a display of human performance versus like a traditional human to human competition. Mm-hmm. And so it's, to me, it's a little bit more of a positive, like a celebration of what these people can do with the greatest technology and proper training and a proper mental focus, um, as opposed to just like who can stomp the other guy, which is what a lot of competitive activities really entail, um, is just kind of a bit of a killer instinct, a drive to be better than other people versus a drive to be better than you, you yourself was yesterday. Right. So I, I think in that sense, there's also a unique nature to the layout of the competition and, and how it manifests and, and just what it feels like. And um, there's not a lot of substance stuff going on. Well, I mean, like in I mean, road racing, it's just like you look at these well, guys and you think, oh my God, they're all doped up. Maybe, I don't know, nowadays, because the testing is so aggressive uh, in road racing that you got to assume that there's if there is stuff going on, it's pretty... Uh, either cutting edge that they don't have a test for or yeah. it's just traditional just really good quality potent supplements yeah. uh proper training proper nutrition um but you've never had that bar to be well there's been some there's been some, a, a few little instances little in the past yeah what was it uh it's it was it was uh what was his name wade boots uh <laughs> slalom four cross guy i think he got pipped for it once um, Sean Palmer, maybe? No, 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 never, never. Uh, no, Palmer was the opposite. Oh no, who's it? Palmer, Palmer would have been. He would have. He, he would have been disqualified because he was too drunk. <laughs> no, no, that was not Palmer's uh, mo at all. He yeah. was the party king. Um, yeah, there were a couple. There was a couple, but not a lot. I mean, it, you know, and but they still test them. Regardless, oh yeah, they test. They yeah. still get piss tested at the right. at the end of every race if they're in the top whatever. So. Uh, no, I mean there is there is a beauty to that. It doesn't seem to be a part of the sport. Although I think at a certain level, um, it's such a blend of things as far as what makes a great downhill athlete. You do need to be a great athlete. You need you know you need to have great. Uh, I would not say overall cardio stamina. You need to have great muscle stamina. So somebody who can exert extremely high efforts for a consistent amount of time, mm-hmm. not. A generally kind of low to medium effort for a long period of time that doesn't matter necessarily it's high output for four to five minutes repeated over and over and over and over again of of generating a maximum maximum body output um consistently over a period of time so that's a that's a that's a unique athlete that requires you know a special training program um 
Well, they have to be born with quick reflexes. And yeah, I mean, realistically, you, you need you need fast twitch. You need to be an explosive. You need to be explosive. You need to be yeah. explosive person. Yeah. But um, so much of it is experience and mental confidence, um, and a kind of race craft is the term. Uh, an approach to uh, really picking apart the the details of what you're doing, both in bike setup, in training, but also in the actual course and how you're going to ride the course that week, that day, those conditions. Um, you know, there's a whole it, it, it's a it's you know it's a whole process of of and it's a unique it's a unique process and they call it racecraft and it's basically how are you going to go about doing this uh, with the the abilities you have with the the tools that you have with your team and your bike and your setup um what's your approach yeah and that's one of the interesting things about it is everybody's kind of got their own unique way and uh there's so much that's open for interpretation that you can you can have all these you can have somebody who just cracks the code Mm -hmm. somebody who gets it right Mm -hmm. that week and then they 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 succeed uh so there's a there like i said the drama starts early there's you know off-season training. There's off-season bike testing. Um, you know there's a uh, you know there's all kinds of stuff that um, leads up to the beginning of the season. And now we're in we're in week one, mm-hmm. f- leading into the first race in Lords, mm-hmm. uh, which is early this year. Mm-hmm. It's usually we don't get started until at least April. And there was talk of even some snow and some bad weather potentially, which is gonna maybe throw a wrench because Lords is real sketchy in the wet, and we've seen this yeah. in the past. Yeah, the dirt there does not take water well, so that uh, it, it's always interesting. But yeah. yeah, it basically builds in, and then you know you have great coverage from from Pink Bike and Vital. Yeah where they got the pit bits on Vital right now this morning. I just saw it, where you get <laughs> yep. to go through. And it's just pictures. There's no, there's nothing, the, the only con, it's just somebody there. And whistles. <laughs> it's just taking, no, I mean, this is not oh, even riding oh, yet. Not even riding yet. This yep. is just taking pictures of all the new parts and the new bike builds in the pits of the race. And so there's this whole other side of the sport, which is, you know, uh, like Formula One or MotoGP, actually maybe more effectively would be the description, or Group B rally racing days back in the 80s. Uh, essentially downhill racing is a completely unregulated unlimited technological development platform Mm -hmm. so the only thing that used to be a rule was you had to have the same size wheels and now that's not even a rule so you can't have a motor obviously Mm -hmm. uh but essentially there's almost no restrictions on how you can develop a bike what you can use on the bike um you know and there's no referees to get involved well that's not true there's there 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 is well, there is there is definitely outside the tape or something well no there, there's definitely um there is a, a, a uci delegate on 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 track always or on uh, at the event and if something is deemed that needs to be considered or whatever they can sometimes make a judgment call um, you know, because you because certain teams can file a complaint. They can they can basically kind of you know uh, contest a result. Right. Um, if some yeah, it, it would be if, if somebody went off track, went off course, um, got outside of the tape in some way, uh, maybe just for a split second, right. and there was you know a question of it. Um, but uh, yeah, he- in general, it's very unregulated because it's just one person on track. There's nothing that really needs to be yeah. considered. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a that and and it does create a direct trickle down effect, and it has for years. And so this is also one of the major values of downhill racing, is that whether or not you believe it does, I think one of the best examples, uh, a guy just won Milan San Remo, the road race mm-hmm. with a dropper post. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. you look at right. that, that story just came out. He had a dropper post on his road bike. They set it up. They've been planning it for like months ahead of time because he wanted to win this race. And he knew that the descent was super technical and that if he had this body weight where he could where get maximum grip out of the tires, that he was going to try to gap everybody on the downhill back down into the to finish. Hmm. And that's what he did. Mm-hmm. And so it's like if you need any any evidence that downhill has a direct correlation to the things that we ride every day, it's, it's stuff like that. I mean, obviously, you know, I guess the dropper came from Enduro, but Enduro came from wanting to ride a bike like a downhill bike that you climb. Right. So everything kind of, I think, spawns from the desire to ride something as close to a downhill bike as possible in every instance that you can when you're going down a hill. Because they do, 
they go down a hill like a, a time trial bike goes on a, you know, a flat road stage. Uh, they go down a hill like a moto goes up a hill. They pick apart a downhill trail better than any vehicle on the planet. Uh, and it just, you know, it's one of those things where you start just now all the capability, uh, you know, the Santa Cruz line is a good example of their bikes now look like V10s. They yep. basically took yep. their, uh, you know, their V10 and turned it into all their different trail and enduro bikes mm-hmm. uh, because they knew it was the best suspension system that they had and they just needed to figure out a way to package it with a full seat post and a set of gears. Um, so, yeah, I mean, downhill also has a huge, huge benefit to everybody uh, as far as what their bikes have become. Yeah. Um, you know, tire technology, braking technology, everything benefits from the that bleeding edge that we get in DH racing kind of, you know, emanating down through the rest of the, the, the bike world in general. Yep. You know? Yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, well, it's hugely important. Talk about the intensity of the thing, because you know, these rides, like you say, they only last th- two or three minutes. Yeah. And yet it just like, you're so absorbed the entire time that it feels not only longer, but it feels like a, a more fulfilling experience because like, like I say, you almost feel like you're on that bike. That's yeah. unusual. I mean, I, I can't think of another sport that's that has that much, you know, intense, short time. Right. Well, I mean, I th- the closest thing you could say would be something like MMA or wrestling or, or something where it's basically like a maximum effort for for a very short amount of time. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there's also speed involved, which is great. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's like anytime there's speed, speed is good. We like speed. So... Um, something going fast, uh, but it's not necessarily because of a motor. I think that's the other, you know, there's so many unique elements out of it. It's a human powered endeavor, uh, with a little help from gravity. Um, (laughs) you know, but, uh, it's also, you know, not, I mean, it's an unbuilt track, but it's also kind of working with nature versus like a moto track, which is just sculpted dirt period. Like, you know, I mean, maybe the moto track uses some elevation kind of gain and loss depending on where you're building the track. But in general, the entire track is built by diggers. It's built, you know, machine built. Whereas, you know, a downhill track, they'll route it over. Like I I went to the West Virginia downhill race last year, uh, the the Snowshoe uh, World Cup. You know, they route it through that big rock drop underneath the chairlift. You know, they find natural elements and then integrate them into the course. So it's so much more than just making something from whatever you want. It's utilizing the existing elements and then building a course on it. The course will change every year. They'll reroute it to different sections. Um, They're expecting something like 40,000 at Lourdes spectators. Well, that's, I mean, that sounds like a lot, but I mean, Lourdes is already a big tourist area Uh and it's... uh, you know, it's an it's a it's usually kind of a nice area this time of year to vacation to because the weather's pretty mild. So yeah, so you were at snowshoe. Is it is it a good spectator sport to be on site at? I've oh my gosh! It. I mean, it depends on on you as a person, but yes, I mean absolutely. Like the the atmosphere when it's race day is out of hand. There's an energy, you know, and it's it's deep, man. It's packed deep. There's a lot of people on the track. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's, you know, everybody's got, you know, noisemakers and whatever, uh, and everybody's yelling, everybody's losing their voice. Um, you know, it's just, it's a super intense, fun experience. Um, you will be emotionally drained afterwards, uh, for sure. You know, but you can, wherever you're positioned, you can still only see how much of the race. That's the challenge is that you basically only get to see a little bit, but you can pick better parts that, you know, allow you to see a a good stretch. You know, what I usually, what we, you know, what I do is like, I'll spend a couple practice days uh, walking the track while they're riding and getting an idea of where I think the key, key spectating spots are. The things that I'm going to want to see during race day. Right. you know, the the other way to do it is you just start up the top and then just work your way down because it is kind of fun to be near the bottom at the end of the race. And then you can maybe, it, well, it depends though, I guess, uh, what you know, where the pits are laid out. So at Snowshoe, it's hard. You can be at the bottom, which is cool to see who crosses the finish line and all the energy right when the race is decided at the bottom. 
But then if you want to see the podium, you got to get up to the top because the pits are at the top of the mountain. So the queue to get on to the chairlift was like insane. So I just hiked up the hill. Okay. I did, we, we just busted ass and, and we just hiked up the hill and got up and then we got to see the, the, the podium. Um, but uh, yeah, it depends on, on where you're going. But um, no, the, you know, yeah, you might have to, you might have to fight for a good view. Mm-hmm. You might have to get creative and hike up the hill somewhere to get to, because there's people on track. Yeah. But um, no, it's it's a it's an awesome environment. It's super yeah. cool to go um, to see the bikes working. You know, and the thing I always have described for years talking to people about downhill racing um, uh, is that there is a violence that you maybe don't quite understand until you're there in person, standing next to wow. the track. Wow. There, the, the these these riders are pushing at a pace that is just frantic for the average individual because it's just not sustainable over a lifetime of riding, but they don't care about that. They, that's not their job. Their job is to go as fast as they can. And that's usually why there's any, any, at any given time, there's a number of riders who are injured uh, because they're always trying to push the edge of what they can do. Yeah. Um, but there's a, there's a feeling that you can sense coming through the ground before you even see the rider. And cause the, the tires are hitting the earth, so hard and they are loading in so aggressively that it's actually like you can you can see you can sense that they're coming you can hear it you can feel it and if you're standing next to something where there's like an impact i mean it's they're just and you know you know most of us would be like ah my rims you know like everyone we would be thinking about trying to preserve our equipment because we have to pay for it you know but that's not something that they have to worry about and so they're just hitting things uh, you know, just at maximum impact and you'll see people fail their equipment, uh, constantly throughout the week. I mean, it just, you know, you'll see people walking down in practice with flat tires and folded rims and, you know, just, you know, you and I would think about like, man, I don't know. It seems like modern bikes are pretty good. And I can't tell you the last time I, 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 I blew up a wheel or something, you know, uh, you know, because for most people, there's enough products now that exist to where we can get you a strong enough, a strong enough choice that didn't necessarily exist back in the day, but it does now mm-hmm. to where like I can build a bike that will essentially work for almost any rider of any size and any aggression. Um, but somehow these folks at the top end of the, the field and, and you know, some of these, some of these racers are, 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 are bigger, but most of them are not. It's very rare to see a, a, a DH, a world cup DH racer that's over 200 pounds. Right. Um, right. you know, there's a couple of them that are tall, um, right. and there's a couple of them that are fairly stout and thick, you know, Amari, uh, Amari Piron is, he's a pretty, pretty yeah. beefy muscular guy, right. but in general, most of these riders are not over 200 pounds. Um, you know, but it doesn't matter. They just, it's the speed they carry. It's the physical force that they're loading into the bike and they just, they can absolutely fail product still. Oh yeah. Um, you know, uh, because they are just going flat out as hard as they can. Um, so that also creates a bit of drama, especially at a place like Snowshoe where it's just rocks everywhere. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. uh, you know, cause that's, and that's just adds to the racing is that, you know, it's part of the racecraft that I was talking about earlier. You have to go as hard as you can, but not fail your gear. Right. And so, you know, you, for, you know, this is the old saying that, you know, to finish first, first, you have to finish. <laughs> you know, like you have to cross the line. It is a war of attrition. You, you know, you you have to manage your equipment. Um, and there are still, you know, most people, like I said, most gear is really good these days, but there's still people struggling here and there where you're going to have stuff fail and it's going to completely affect the outcome. Mm-hmm. A, a component failure is still, you know, still responsible for the outcome of certain events. Mm-hmm. Um, so that also tells me that we're not done yet. That tells me that that's exciting that, you know, the conversation that you had had, you and I had had earlier about innovation versus evolution um, this could maybe be a bit of both, I guess, but there's room for it. There's still a need for it. We are not at peak. We have not solved all the problems <laughs> yet. If, you know, uh, what's his name? Um, it was, uh, the other comments, all writer, the young guy. Um, uh, but glory, no, uh, God, I'm spacing on it. Um, he, he was up in the greens, uh, at snowshoe and he blew up his rim. Um, it's, uh, anyway, um, I forget, uh, but 
you know, yeah, it was a very clear, distinct public rim failure in a rock garden. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and yeah. he had an insert. He had a tire insert. He had DH casing, and the rim still came apart. Um, and it absolutely just ended his ended his run. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But he was he was up. I mean, he was pushing hard. Yeah. yeah. So um, it. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a whole other element too. Is that like, it, it's this killer test bed, to where we can put these products in the hands of 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 these people, and they're going to find weaknesses. They're going to sort out issues. You know, is there any trail around here that would even approach a, uh, what a UCI course is like, Adam? Uh, well, I mean, if Snoqualmie Bike Park opens up here, like they're talking about, yes. Okay. Yes, there's trails up on up on the Snoqualmie Hill. It's the old legacy trails that they're going to grandfather in, like the Black Forest, oh, where absolutely, yeah, super steep, super techy roots in the woods, tons of rocks, tons of exposed rocks and edges to blow up wheels. Yeah, there there's stuff at Snoqualmie for sure. Um, you know, I mean, not essential. I mean, I mean there there you know there's a I mean, you think of trails like Predator and Ebad and no. I mean, maybe elements, but, you know, uh, and stuff like it's nothing, that. you know, maybe there's little glimpses of things on those trails. Right. But you would need to imagine that there's like a trail that's just all that. All that. Like and, that one section. And steeper. I that, mean, the, yeah. The, that, the, well, the not grade. always, but yeah. Well, I mean, you just be surprised. Like snowshoe was not very steep, it, it, except for the, a couple of different shoots. It's actually not a very steep hill. Yeah, um, it's about 21, 22. I, I don't think know, I did but just in general, once. the great, yeah. the, the, the sections are not terribly steep. It's right. almost actually about carrying speed over flatter sections flatter, that are yeah. rocky and rough. Right. That was the real challenge of that hill. Right. Um, but it's just like the constant intensity of rough surface, just constantly rocks and roots yeah. that are just like never letting up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it varies. You know, there's certain there's certain downhill tracks where that have they have smooth sections. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. Fort William has some smooth sections up top, and then it goes into the insanity of the the the, the man-made rock sections. Um, you know, uh, Leo Gang has a couple smooth sections in it. Um, although they've changed that over the years, they've tried to reduce that more and more and make it more technical. Um, but in general, yeah, it's basically. You know, Would I they mean, ever put more pedaling into a, a downhill race? It seems like they've been trying to move away from that as much as they can. Mm-hmm. Um, because it doesn't really tie into the true identity of what downhill racing is supposed well, to be. Well, there's also enduro, which does have pedaling. Right. So. so, I mean, usually there are elements of pedaling or having to carry speed, for sure. Um, and Unless the, you're Aaron Gwynn with a broken chain. <laughs> right. Uh, so that's, you know, like I said, and to me that means that's a good downhill track. If you can win a downhill track without a chain, that means that's a good downhill track. Because... We're trying to judge this, you know, if, if, again, if you want to judge somebody on a broader range of metrics, including fitness, that's where something like enduro or cross country is going to be the better place to go look. Whereas downhill, I don't like the concept of a race being decided off of pedal power alone. Um, I think that you should be able to, though. I think that that should be an element of a downhill racer is that they can put down serious horsepower if they need to for a particular area or section of the track but i don't i'm not necessarily stoked on the idea that it wins the race Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. you know and that seems much less common nowadays like i said there's a couple elements on fort william where the ability to pedal flat out in the motor section the motorway section down near the bottom where it gets a lot more flat and it's very difficult to carry speed um the ability to pedal hard through that really can in the history that's why Menards won there so many times like yeah. you can really yeah. see certain people are making up big gaps uh with the ability to just lay it down um so there's a couple tracks where that still matters uh and and does it matter snowshoe i, I know that no slipped the there's pedal. very few opportunities to pedal okay there's the one spot near the bottom coming out of the woods there's right. a big flat section there yeah. before you drop in the, to, the, to the little the double-triple option, and then you come out into the final drop. Um, so there for sure is a spot in Snowshoe where it's dead flat and it's grass, and you come out of that last rock garden and you got to mash. There's no way that you could really do it if you broke a chain. So for sure uh, there was that. Um, up top, uh, not really. Right out of the start gate, you're at a slope. And you're right into the woods. 
Um, you do have to traverse across a hill, but it's there's it's that it was it's that kind of quad roller to where you could double double or triple single whatever option before you drop down into the chute. Um, so you're really no. There's hardly any pedaling right. there at all. Right. So no, in general, once you're there's a little midsection, there's a little transfer section in the middle of the woods that's flat before it opens up into like a root section and then you hit that rock drop coming out from underneath the chairlift. Now is that where Pjarn uh, slipped his pedal or was it on the grassy part? Remember a couple of years, or back in 2019 or something, that close one with uh, Danny Hart actually ended up winning and then giving the world- No, that's at the very end. That's yeah, the very where, end. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. The tar- that's the part I'm talking about. That's okay. the most important pedal section of that track. Okay. Yeah, okay. so there are some spots, but in general it's becoming less and less common. Like I said, you need it, and you need to be able to put it down and it is important um it's something that has to be there when when asked for but um it shouldn't be for like long protracted sections like south africa was an example of where you're just sitting down and pedaling hard on a flat section for like at least 30 seconds or more wasn't there one in Australia or New Zealand where Mick Hanna... Australia had a big pedal at the end. They had a big pedal at the end. At the yeah. very end of the fish line, it had a really long pedal that was almost totally flat. Yeah. So, yeah, there's again, there's a there was a couple spots in the past that, you know... But, you were see, like I said, we're seeing almost none of that nowadays. No. Because they know that it doesn't make for good TV. <laughs> like, the, you know, people are not interested in watching that. That's not that's not why you, you, yeah. you, you go in for downhill. Right. You, you want to see just kind of the the peak level of, uh, you know, bike handling and, you know, maneuvering a bike at speed, uh, and, uh, you know, and just carrying speed through rough technical terrain, I think is really the, the whole, the whole focus. Well, have you got any, have you got a feel for the, how the field is shaping up this year? Uh, who are <sighs> your favorites? At I don't know, man. Nowadays it's so it's hard. So hard yeah. There's so many good riders. Everybody's kind of going crazy with training. All the bikes seem at a really high level right now. Everyone's been doing kind of preseason testing. There's lots of prototypes, and I don't know. Everybody's going high pivot, like we've talked about. Uh, everybody's got a high pivot prototype now. Uh, Danny Hart just showed his cube. He's got a high pivot one. The Intense guys have theirs. Although, interestingly, Nico has, has modified his third prototype that he's doing to be non-high pivot. Um, now, are they still mixed wheels? or they It's all over the place. Over the Santa place. Cruz guys just showed all their team bikes, and uh, Jackson is the only one on a mixed. Everybody is now on full 29, whereas wow. I know Lori had been testing a mixed wheel. Uh, Nina has never really seemed like that, that big on mixed wheel. She's tried it, but all last year she was on, on 29s, and, and she, that seems her preference. Mm-hmm. So she's on full 29. Minar, of course, is always on full 29. And Lori's bike was a full 29, at least what we just saw this morning. Really? Uh, he, was, he was on mixed. He was trying mixed wheel, but they're showing, at least okay. the bike they showed was a full 29 from what I could see. Okay. Jackson was the only one on a mixed wheel right now. Um, it's all over the place, you know, the mixed yeah. wheel thing. I okay. think it seems like a lot of people still do prefer it. It seems like a lot of racers do prefer it. And In are, terms of the high pivot design, does it make any difference what the wheel size? No, you can do it for either. Uh, although if you were gonna, if you were trying to go for the maximum benefits of a high pivot, which is uh, the rearward axle movement, the, the 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 rear axle of the bike being able to travel back away from the frame yep. in the direction that the impact is hitting the wheel. If you think about a, a 27.5 wheel is smaller, its axle will be lower to the ground which would essentially allow you to make the swing arm at a sharper angle, creating a more dramatic arc backwards because mm-hmm. it would basically start lower. And so that right. it could end up further back if you were really trying to go for like maximum uh, rear, rear axle movement. So in, in that sense, I guess it could. Um, but at the same time, you know, a 29 inch wheel with its axle farther off the ground is already gonna give you some of those benefits right. of skimming over impacts and not getting hum, hung up as much on square edge hits. So some of it's gonna boil down to just momentum and handling. Do you like the idea of having a big a big wheel in the back of the bike that's got a drive that can tend to push a bike through a corner? Um, do you have uh, body clearance problems uh, in steep sections? You know, just clearing that big tire. Yep. Uh, is there, you know, are you running out of space where, you, where it's gonna buzz you on a bottom out? Um, you know, and that varies dramatically with different riders and different inseams and kind of how they position their bodies um, and, and where they like to be. You know, are you a flat pedal rider so you need to be more centered or rearward to have your weight over the pedals? Are you clipped in so you can be way over on the front? 
that's all over the place. So there's a lot of different factors, I think, of why someone would go mixed wheel versus dual, you know, dual 29. Um, but it seems like a lot of the field is, is on mixed wheel. Uh, it definitely seems like that is being favored uh, for a lot of racers. Does the Lord's type of course favor any particular rider? I mean, like I say, they haven't had it for five years, right? It's a pretty varied track, you know, uh, but I would not say it's like full the gnar. Like it's got gnarly sections in the woods for sure, but there's also a lot of just carrying speed, um, you know, which is just an art in itself. Um, But it's a pretty varied track. There's a pretty wide range of, 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 of things to kind of factor in. Um, it's been so long, to be honest, I don't really have a good, good idea and they may have changed the track. So I didn't get it. I know there's some track walks that are popping up. I didn't get a chance to look at them yet. Um, that'll I, give, I that'll, saw a reference that it's minimal. That'll give me a better it's idea. minimal, but so, I, I don't know what minimal means. Uh, so I, it, we'll see. I mean, would that favor Menard? I mean, every, it doesn't matter. Every doesn't track, matter. every track favors Menard. <laughs> okay. You never count Greg out. <laughs> <laughs> Gregor's is the, you know, that's, a, that's why he's the GOAT. I mean, the guy is just, he's a great athlete. He's got great support. He's got so much experience. He's got mental, you know, mental toughness. And, and he's just he's a, been, he's, been on this he's track rock before. solid. He just kind of, he, he, he's not, he doesn't get nervous. He's not, he, he, you know, he, well, maybe he does. He just doesn't show it or he doesn't let it affect him. If anything, his nervousness makes him perform to a higher level. If he's backed into a corner, he can deliver. Whereas a lot of people crumple under that kind of pressure. So you never count him out, especially when he's healthy and he's had time to set up his bike and puzzle as he likes to. Um, yeah, you never, you never count out Greg if he's, if he's fit and healthy. Uh, Gwyn is kind of a dark horse because he's, he's, he's done well here. He's won at Lords back, back in the YT days. Uh, and um, he has a brand new prototype. Yeah, and it seems bike. like it's answering a lot of the the, the, the challenges that they were struggling with. Um, you know, I think Darren's doing too many videos, so <laughs> maybe. But <laughs> maybe you know, at, as, at the same time, though, I, I think that's a, I, I don't think that's a bad idea. I think as especially as you become, a, I don't want to say an older rider, but he is kind of an older rider <laughs> right. in the scheme of things. Right. Uh, you know, perhaps he's looking for a way to uh, diversify his uh, options post racing career. Um, he's, he's natural in front of a camera. He's a good presenter. Um, so, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I, I think maybe it's more of that is he's just trying to establish himself as a bit of a content creator as they like to call themselves, uh, which is fine. Um, is everybody healthy? I mean, uh, well, let's see. No, most people are. Uh, from what I understand, I think there's a few things floating around. I know somebody's got a broken ankle. It's, um, uh, Troy. Well, yeah, Troy, Troy, had, Troy broke Troy his ankle at Nationals. Yeah. And then I think, uh, I know that Piron was, like, not feeling well and oh, didn't really? race at the National. Oh. The one that was the, the, the Broad, I don't know how you say it, the Broad, Broad. There was, mm-hmm. it was those local, they had a French, na- French, a French race. Right. And a bunch, of, a bunch of the pros went there for preseason warm-up. Um, huh. He didn't race, but he, I think he was just not feeling well. Okay. I don't know if it was an injury. I don't think it was injury-related. I love um, to watch him ride. He's he's just so yeah. I mean, let's let's so finger, fingers crossed that he stays healthy because he's one of those guys that's always pushing the limit. Oh, and God, and so it. so is the oh, what's what's this other guy's name? He's killing me. I, I know his name. Um, the they basically that's kind of uh, uh, that's what they do is uh, just it, they're just at the limit all the time. At the limit, yeah. Um, you know and. You know they, they don't hold back, but that means they crash. That yep. means they get hurt. Yep. It's not you Reese. Know? That's uh that's part of the deal. Um, so, yeah, I mean we'll see on on uh, you know I think a lot of it'll be conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I, you know, Lori Greenland on the new V10. I think there's I, I think you'd be silly to, to to count that guy out. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Lloyd. you know. Of course, um, of course, Loic. You know, Loic is just like somebody. He's you, you, you know, same with Loris Vergier. Like these guys, you can you never. That's the problem now. Is there's just too many people that are too many consist. They're too consistently yeah. fast to, to How about know. Luca? Is Luca, Luca's got a new, new team. team. Uh, yeah. Luca Shaw on Canyon now. Uh, teammates with Troy. We'll see what happens. Uh, who knows? You know, it's yeah. It, yeah new rig, new team. 
new teammates. On the women's side, do we have anybody? I mean, Nina's full factory syndicate now, but I mean, yeah. same bike. Um, you know, the, yeah, I mean, uh, whether or not the Commonsall Dorval team will be on the new prototype, I don't know. I'm not sure if that's reserved for the factory Commonsall, because Commonsall's got a new frame, a new frame that they're racing this weekend that okay. they just announced. So right. it's their, their six bar new virtual high pivot linkage bike that they've been developing okay. uh and uh, i know that they have the factory riders on it um angels satellite team is on it so i'm not sure if the doorball team is on it because if that's the case then camille blanche will have a new bike um you know she's always super competitive she could be at the top end uh, you know and if now she's riding the same bike as miriam is you know if, if she because in the past basically miriam had the proto and and Camille was on the the, the stock single pivot. Mm-hmm. So uh, now mm-hmm. if they they might be on the same same gear, it'll be a little bit more of a level playing field. Um, who knows? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's pretty open. Uh, you know the as far as the 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 women, I mean, Valley is still on her same setup. Yeah. Um, and it'll be interesting right. to see what a off season of training is is you know because she's now got her first elite year under her belt and and you know now she's got a little bit more maybe she'll be a little bit more consistent because she was kind of up and down in her first year which you would expect for a new racer so uh i mean if she if she starts to kind of figure out how to deliver consistently i mean watch out because you know we know what she did as a junior uh we know what she's capable of when she has confidence and when she's healthy that like yeah she could run away with it uh you know you never know so, uh, no, I mean, the first race is always, it's always just a lot of questions and, oh, and speculating because it's just, you know, it's one of those things that you, there's so many variables coming from an off season into the first year or the first race. And, uh, there's so many new bikes and setup and, and changes that you just got to shake it down. And the hard part about downhill is that compared to a lot of activities, there's only six to seven events a year that was my next next question then we can wrap it up so that can we get more events on the calendar Adam, we should just and everybody everybody all the racers would probably say yeah let's do more events so the challenges are one it's expensive because essentially you need uh, somebody or a place to throw down the money to buy the rights to the use they basically they have to pay the uci for the privilege of running a race because the way the uci sees it is that if you have a race at your event, your venue, well, you're going to make all this money from food and drinks and merch and, you know, whatever else. Because usually you know, they don't charge tickets. Um, or maybe they do. I think we had, I think we paid, yeah, we had to buy, we had to buy a spectator pass at Snowshoe. And then you had to buy, uh, and that pass basically got you the lift access and stuff for the week. So if you want to be able to take the chairlift, and go into the pits and whatever else you had to buy a spectator pass i forget what it cost it wasn't terribly expensive but it was some money so i know the venue makes direct money from the spectators but then they also it's indirect all the all the restaurants are full they're jammed you know and they're selling t-shirts and hats and you know all kinds of stuff so um but it's a lot of money to 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 buy to to basically pay for the 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 rights to have the venue and then you have to have somebody promote it um, you know, you have to have a promoter and then, you know, there's, then there's media rights and it's, so it's a, it's a big deal. It's a big process to get Even it. Even if you're doubling up in one venue, like they did at Snowshoe last year. Well, that was because, uh, Fort William canceled. They didn't want to have two at Snowshoe. They, they agreed to, but, uh, it was because they had lost, uh, another venue and they needed to add another race to fill out the calendar. So, no, I mean, I, I think most people that seem, most people seem like they think 10 is a good number. If we could have 10 events. Because the nice thing about more events is that you can have a bad event and not have it ruin your season. Now, right now, it's yeah. very difficult to have a bad result and then be able to have a good overall. Uh, because, you know, the, these races are, you, you, the, you, these races are competed at, you know, for their individual merit. But there's also the overall result of the year 
that's that's so you have your individual race events and then you have your World Cup overall winner who has the best average, the best the highest number of points earned from the events. You know, and so certain riders don't care about it. Certain riders seem to just go for race wins. Uh, but I think everybody wants a good overall result. So um, the riders want more. I would say so, yeah. I mean, it seems like most of them in, in interviews would want more uh, just because of that, to give yeah. themselves the ability to throw, you know, to have one race go bad and not have it ruin the year. Because that's the thing. It's like, how do you find the edge then if if you crash, you, you, you're, you know, it's a, it's a big problem to try to make up points if you have a really bad event. Um, from the writers and the team standpoint is travel and set up so that's a fine line it's like at a certain point if you had like 20 races it would make it really difficult for teams to afford to do it and so that's where you're gonna there's got to be a balance somewhere is that you know world cup racing is extremely expensive already uh to 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 get these trucks kitted out and to pay for everybody to be there to fly around the world um it's a lot of money and you know it's great exposure for a company, I suppose. But at the same time, if you were really wanting to be perfectly honest, it's probably not the most logical use of marketing dollars because it's such a rabbit hole of, 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 of development costs that uh, unless you're really interested in, in developing the technology or really putting your name out there and wanting to get into the aggressive riding sector, um, I don't know. That's, it's a hard one for teams to justify. Uh, because it's so much money. Yeah. Um, so it's a balance, you know, because if you, if you start bumping up the numbers of the events, then there's certain teams that are going to have to just pick which events they can go to. They're not going to go to all of them. Right. You know, they're not going to be able to travel to North America twice if they're based in Europe. They'd only be able to go there once, and then you'd have to stack, like, two or three events in North America all around the same time. You know, I think they could be smart about that, though. Yeah. You cluster, you know, you cluster, th- you know, three or four races in North America, and then you have like five or six in Europe, and then maybe you have a couple different outliers somewhere else. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's yeah. it would be awesome, you know, to have more. Uh, but at the same time, you the bet. fact that there aren't very many makes them even more special, <laughs> and so it makes them even more exciting. There's more at stake. There's a yeah. lot at stake. Um, you know, there's still national rounds that these racers do. Um, so they're not just only racing six or seven times in a year. They're racing at local events, national rounds. Uh, there's some, you know, invitational kind of uh, exhibition racing like the Red Bull Hardline where it's an invite event only, but still one of the gnarliest races there is in the calendar. Right. Um, so, you know, there's things that these people are doing to pad out their year. Uh, but at the same time, there is room for more racing, yeah. you know, and it's really just, the, it's the whole, uh, cost of just somebody committing to putting on the event. Yeah. And it's like, if you can get more people to do that, then you could have more, you could have more. Yeah. yeah. Well, tune in this Sunday <laughs> this at Sunday. 1230 AM. Well, I don't know what time it is, but, <laughs> uh, you can watch it. Right. Uh, it'll be on, uh, it'll be on Red Bull at least for the remainder of this year. Next year, yeah. we have a new, we have a new media, you know. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see that transition. Yeah, I don't know. Cool. I'm, uh, I'm, right. I'm a little nervous about that one. Yeah. But, All right. Thanks so much, Adam. Yeah, man. Good talking with you. Yeah.